This is Earn More Tutoring, the ultimate crowdsourced education entrepreneurship show. This week, I speak with Jay Prakrania, CEO and co-founder of Signet Education. Jay and I talk about how he built one of the most successful tutoring companies in the extremely competitive Boston area, how he strengthens his team by giving them ownership and authority over their decision-making process and hires the right people. And it's all got to be mutual, Sean. It's got to be like... They have to want to work for us and we've got to want to hire them and it can't be anything but that. Anytime it's anything different than that, that's usually there's a crack that's just going to grow and, um, and and cause some kind of problem uh, later on. So a lot of us, a lot of what we do is just trying to figure out whether we want them and they want us. Welcome back to Earn More Tutoring. My guest today is Jay Bacrania. Welcome, Jay. Thanks. So to start off, Jay, I'd just love for you to talk about your your business what you know what it is your business offers and yeah any other ventures that you'd like to share about sure so i uh am a co-owner co-founder and uh person who runs signet education Uh, it's a tutoring test prep admissions consulting and academic coaching company based in cambridge massachusetts though uh at this point kind of based everywhere um we started in 2005. Uh, my friend Andrew started the company, and I joined him shortly thereafter. And it's been a um, long and interesting and uh, kind of fun and terrifying journey <laughs> throughout the last uh, 15 years or so. But I guess to kind of zoom out and sum it all up, I think that one of the things that we are currently wrestling with is even just the description of that the company as a tutoring test prep admissions consulting academic coaching company over the years we we do all those services but we really try to take a um, holistic view and a long-term view with our students and clients and really thinking about uh, you know i studied as as we've discussed before i studied comparative religion in college and you know i i spend a lot of time thinking about what makes for a meaningful life and uh, trying to ask and and make feeble attempts at an answer of what is the good life and really thinking about how do we um, facilitate that kind of thinking for our students and families uh, starting in the high school process so that uh, as they go through that process, they can really make the most of it and get themselves ready for a meaningful and successful life. So to me, we do all those things, but really the next frontier for us is how do we do all those things together to help families have the best academic journey that they possibly can? Yeah, that's powerful stuff. I think that I imagine you're, you're searching for the right description and the right pathway for your clients is what draws people to you. I mean, not. I'm sure it's not like oh, published point. on the page. It's yeah. not like we are searching for the perfect, but it's like, because you are a searcher and it's like, I am still learning, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. You can provide that sense of inquisition and curiosity. I'm sure it filters down through, through your business. Um, and I'm so curious about the comparative religion thing. I'm sure we'll go off onto that at another point. Um, but it, I'm as at the same time, I, I imagine it plays into your your love of knowledge and your and your wanting to share that with others. Yeah, to speak to that briefly, because I think it's important in, in our field, um, when you run a tutoring, test prep, admissions, consulting, academic coaching company like we do, you you face a lot of a lot of people come in and they they have a lot of different agendas. And over the years, what we realized is that certain pathways seem to lead to happier, more well-adjusted, and frankly, more successful in a lot of different definitions of the term students. And certain pathways seem to lead to uh, more pain um, for the student and the family. And the, the, the commonality uh, in, in the more successful pathways is really having a kind of deliberate approach to things. And a, and a well-considered approach and an approach that connects to <clears throat> who the student actually is in terms of their interests and proclivities and strengths and weaknesses and their, you know, neuropsych type profile and 
all of those things have to be taken really seriously and into consideration to help the student really find how to thrive. And so when we think about like that comparative religion background and that seeking background, it really is, um, I think that you can do a tremendous amount of good in our type of company. And you can also facilitate a lot of pain, right? Helping somebody just get two or 300 points on a test, uh, you know, that might do good in a lot of cases, but sometimes that could be the exact wrong prescription for for somebody finding a more meaningful or successful academic journey. So I think I think it's important in, in the field that we're in to really think carefully about what we do and to help our uh, clients where appropriate. Um, you know, we don't want to force anything on them, but really partner with them to help them think about um, what they're doing as well and 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 why. Yeah, I totally, I feel like I'm coming up with all these ideas about what you're kind of talking about because yeah, education can be, it's like, it's, there's two sides of the aquarium, right? It can be the most um, liberating experience for someone, but it can also close them down to wanting to learn and shut them down. So it's like, how do you, how do you, like you mentioned, create a space and a pathway and a nurturing relationship that encourages someone to go on a lifelong learning journey. It sounds exactly. almost cheesy to exactly. say, but it's true. Like yeah. you really want to inspire and, and help people grow. And I was just thinking about you and your business before we, we started chatting. I was thinking, man, you know, Boston is the most competitive, like academic place yes. <laughs> in the world. It so sure one, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So a couple questions on that, you know, it's like one, how did you build a successful, you know, academic business in such a competitive environment where the standards are so high. Um, tell us about that. You know, it's, it, I haven't, uh, I don't have, it, it's an end of one here. So I, I can't say with any level of certainty what it was and whether it was just luck or a fluke or something we did or some combination of all those things, but I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So I think first we were, we are in a very, very competitive market, but when we entered in 2005, there was a fair amount of space in the market. Um, and so I think that we were early in, in some respects. I think there are tons of tutors in lots of places, but there weren't that many companies. Um, so we got in, and while there was a lot of competition, I think we were something unique, something different. Um, and we were right at the start of when I think a lot of or, or earlier, early on in the wave of people seeking out uh, more and more private uh, education, uh, supplemental education. So I think that helped us a lot. Um, my business partner and I, we were always, and still to this day, um, he's no longer active with the company, but but me still to this day and my team, just obsessively focused on quality. Like there's just no, you know, Money, of course, is important to running a business. Um, but for me, it's always been the idea is let's build something um, of, of absolute beautiful quality. Uh, and, uh, you know, the business should follow that. Um, and, and so it's really been quality first. And what does that mean? Well, it means finding the best people we possibly can. It means um, training them, uh, but not just training them, but supporting them like on an ongoing basis and building an infrastructure to do that. Um, It means uh, in a way, it's almost like treating our clients challenges. And I I do this just naturally as as a human being. This is how I relate to people, Um, but treating their challenges as our own challenges. And we're not, you know, when you hire a signet, you're not, just hiring a, a consultant who's going to come in and say, well, good job, you know, or you didn't make it. So no, we, we tried our best, but it's really somebody who's going to get in there in the trenches with you and, and take, take on and, and help you and partner with you to carry that, whatever burden it is. I think we've always taken seriously, um, you know, I'll tell you a story and this might capture it. So we had um, an issue come up uh, uh, recently where and we have very few issues now um again obsessive about like when an issue happens what was it what happened how did you know how can we make sure this never happens again but recently had an issue come up where we 
um, miscommunicated to a client. Uh, we didn't we we didn't prioritize what they wanted and needed and pass that on appropriately. And the conversation they ended up having with our consultant wasn't exactly what they were looking for. We weren't clear enough on what we were billing for and what was free. Um, and and then we had, you know, just basically not been clear in all of that. And that led to a longtime client of ours having um, just not not being happy with us and saying, listen, we're, we're going to, this is not for us anymore. Signet, even though Signet's been great for so many years, it doesn't seem like it's the, the same. Something seems to have changed and we're going our own way. And so I called um, that client and basically just apologized. I mean, because we screwed up. We, we messed up a couple. There was a bunch of little things that all cascaded to create a situation that um, just was not optimal for the client. And so we owned it. We screwed up. We owned it. Uh, apologized, asked her what we could do to make it right, um, offered to find her somebody else in the space to pay for some of those consulting hours with another company, right? No no benefit to us whatsoever, but just to show that we took seriously what happened and that we apologized. And she asked instead that we make a donation, um, you know, to a charity. And, and you know, I made a donation of multiples the size that she asked for. Um, and in the end, she said, you know, uh, you know, I think m- maybe I'd be interested in working with Signet in the future. And it wasn't even the goal, right? The goal was just, we've screwed up. Let's, let's make it right. So it's just that kind of attitude that I think that, that we take toward our partnership with our families um, of really just making it right uh, from top to bottom all the time, owning when we make mistakes, if we make mistakes, doesn't happen very often as far as we know. Um, and, and really just taking that really seriously. And so I think people feel that. And they understand that, you know, money is not our primary objective. Um, it's not a cheap service. It certainly uh, costs money, but uh, we're really there to help and, and connect and commit with, with our family. So I, th- I think that ultimately comes through and is what's helped us to have a, a lot of really uh, loyal clients for a long time. Yeah. Customer service, right? It's like there you uh, go. being, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, yeah. it, I, you know, I, I read this book and it was, it was about, um, well, it was Russell Brunson and it was about marketing, but he talked about how anytime he's in an interaction with someone, he's kind of studying the way that they do their customer service. And like, just hearing that story where there was an issue, right? It was like, it was, you know, it was in the different aspects of your team and it came, it came down to you and you're the, you're the end of the line, right? You know, it's like, it's not exactly. going past, <laughs> past Jay and you, you didn't ignore it. You went straight to the person, you apologized, you asked how you could make it right, you listened, and then you you acted, you know, you took action. And that I think for for our listeners out there, that is such a big, a big key point, right? It's like when you're a when you're a one-man show or when you're one person tutoring business, you can always provide that. Of course, you know, you can always listen to someone and respond. Um, you should always do that. Um, but when it gets bigger and it grows, it's probably a little more difficult to have your eyes on every single thing, which probably goes back to the point you made about hiring great people um, and, you know, trusting them um, and and then also trusting that things will will work their way back to you. And you can you have the skill and the art and the resources to make it right, you know, as much as possible. You can't go back and change what happened. So that that's just a powerful kind of lesson right there. I, I think you also bring up something in there that I've thought about often, um, but I'm glad to have the opportunity to think about out loud, which is, uh, you know, a lot of these are cliches, right? Uh, we, we had one earlier and this is probably going to sound cliche too, but it really is all about how you treat your own employees and the standards of behavior you set internally are then going to be the standards of behavior that are used externally, just naturally. It's a culture you create in, in your organization. And so I think, um, I think uh, you know, for any listeners out there who are thinking of building an organization um, or, or making that jump from one to a couple or from a couple to many, um, you know, that that's if you can get the organizational culture right through leadership and through actions and just, just walking uh, whatever talk you have, then that that kind of becomes the natural way of doing things. So all of us on the team responded with this similar approach because we all share this 
um, same kind of uh, set of values and, and culture. Um, that's also something we've spent a lot of time on, really explicitly defining our values and um, you know sharing them with each other, evaluating ourselves constantly against them, using them as a language on a daily basis internally uh, for the most part. So um, that I think also contributes to, like you're saying, I think it's a great point is it's very easy to do this independently, but when you grow, it certainly becomes harder. And we, we certainly don't get it right all the time, but uh, try to uh, create the foundation and infrastructure to get it right most of the time. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a game of averages out here, right? You know, it's like, you want to, it's like, you want to be shooting your shot and, and trying to hit it as much as possible. I mean, that's a big metaphor there, but you know, yeah, it's like, uh, in, in that culture, you know, that culture beast and you've influenced me so much, even just in our, our short relationship, you know, you, you, uh, told me about that book traction and I, I listened to the whole thing, you know, I, you know, I've got to, I've got to actually listen to it again and implement everything. But just that idea of, defining your culture of your business, like really being explicit about it. And I love the metaphor in the book. It said, some companies use Gumby. You know, we are flexible, we are excited, we are uh, willing to help or whatever the, you know, Gumby represents the Gumby value system. Um, so I want to, I want to ask you about that aspect of your business. So there's, there's two questions here. Um, how do you find great people? Like, for example, I post on Facebook, I found an amazing team member. Um, shout out to Lindsay on Facebook. Um, I've found people through Indeed. Uh, I've reached out to people my old net, you know, through my old public school teaching experience. But tell us about how you find great people. And then the second part of that is how do you retain them? Because I know um, it's competitive out, out in Boston. It's competitive everywhere. People are more aware of their options these days. So I'd love to hear about that. Sure. <laughs> Depends on the different stages of the company. Uh, early on, um, you know, in the really early days, uh, it's like, do you have a pulse? Yeah. Okay. Did, did, did you go to school somewhere? Did you go to school? Okay. Come on. Come on. <laughs> well, we'll make it work. And, you know, we made a lot of mistakes and we learned a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, joking aside, at this point, we have luckily developed um a strong reputation in our area and we are, uh, you know, a, literally a stone's throw. If you've got a good arm away from the main Harvard campus. So I think the two of those things together make us, um, uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're a tutoring company employer of choice. And there are a lot of people who want tutoring jobs in this area. So I'd say that just doing good work over a long time. Um, but we've recruited actively, um, on college campuses, not just Harvard. Um, we've, uh, we've tried all sorts of things. Um, you know, friends of friends, uh, we've tried advertising. We've tried some of the popular, you know, sites posting jobs, um, Craigslist back before it, uh, kind of <laughs> went into a, a different sort of, uh, now you put something up on Craigslist and you just get so many bad applications that it's just not worth your time. Um, but we're at a different stage now where we're not recruiting, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for good talent, but it's not like we have tons of positions open all the time. And so we can be really thoughtful in selecting people. So I'd say breaking this down, there's recruiting for the administrative team and recruiting for the tutoring team. And for the tutoring team, uh, really it's through word of mouth networks, people who already are on our team who have friends and colleagues in, in their labs and um, you know, uh, professional lives and personal lives that, that where we get most of our leads from. Um, on our administrative team, we're definitely much more open um, and, and use different means. So a lot of job postings, we use recruiters from time to time. Um, it just depends on the job and the, the kind of person that we're looking for. Um, our interview process is not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, uh, both on the tutor side and on the administrative side. So we're very, very disciplined about putting everyone through a process. It's funny, I'll have friends who say, hey, I'd love to tutor for you. I'm like, listen, I would love for you to tutor for us too. But you got to talk to Andrea and she's going to put you through the same exact process that every single other person goes through. Um, and all I get to do is say, give a thumbs up. Um, and that process is pretty intensive on both the administrative and, uh, and tutoring side. And then 
we're always, you know, the, the, the challenging side of creating a great culture and, and having awesome people is that from time to time, you have to let people go. And it's just something that us educators, uh, we educators have a very hard time with. Um, it, it, you know, we want to see the best in people. We want to help them grow. We want to help them thrive. That's that's what we do all day. And, but sometimes you have to be able to draw a line and say, ah, it's just not the right fit. And you're going to be happier somewhere else. And we're going to be better off um, with somebody else in this position. And that's just never, that's never easy. It's never fun. But you have to exercise that muscle and be able to do that to create a, a team that's incredible. So that's how do we find people and how do we kind of create the team? How do we retain people? That is just, I mean, has so many different elements to it. It's like everything, pretty much everything. Um, so some of the key ones, I think, are, of course, you have to pay um, a competitive wage um, in this uh, in this marketplace where a tutor can go independently and make double or triple um, perhaps what, what a lot of companies are paying. You've, you've got to pay a competitive wage. Uh, second is you've got to support tutors um, and educators and even administrators to everyone. Uh, there's a lot of different places to work and what people want is to both you know, make a good wage, but most people also have a pretty strong desire to grow as professionals and as human beings. And so uh, without that kind of support, um, you know, the growth is, is going to be a lot slower. So a lot of people really value that. We want to create a culture that just where people feel like the culture brings out the best in them. I'm sure you've uh, you've had the experience as have I of working in a place where you walk in and you feel like the place is like bringing out the worst in you um, or the person that you are in your workplace is not the person you really want to be. And we want to create a culture and a, you know, a ambitious culture where we're pushing people to perform and, and to do their best and to be their best in a way that they appreciate and they, they walk out of there feeling, wow, like this is, this is an awesome place to work because I'm able to be grow and be somebody, be the best version of myself professionally. You think about that teacher that we all had that pushed, you know, pushed you hard in class and sometimes maybe was strict and sometimes did it with a smile and a hug, but really didn't take anything less than what was your best. And you walk out of there feeling like, wow, that was difficult, but I wouldn't have traded it for the world. That's, that's the atmosphere you know, with a lot of fun and, and, and jokes along the way that we try to foster as well. Um, so those are just some of the things. I think the retention, there's, there's just everything you do is, are you making somebody's life better and easier um, that's working for you? Are you helping them grow? Are you helping um, achieve the ultimate outcome of uh, having students be incredibly successful? Um, or are you taking away from that? And And so I think it's really it's hard to pinpoint exactly one thing. I'm wondering about the interview process. We I had another guest on Leslie Josell, and she said, "I'm like she said, I'm your favorite boss, but I am the meanest interviewer, or something, the worst interviewer, not the worst, but like the toughest." And I wanted to talk to you about that because I do think that interview process and you know formalizing that in some way can can lead to retaining great employees and also screening. Um, and you want to ask the right questions and, and evaluate the right metrics or the right dispositions. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that interview process looks like and how you settled on the one that you currently have? So, you know, massive amount of credit goes to Andrea on our team and Sheila and the rest of the team for this. Um, so anything I'm, I'm going to share with you here is just really, it's been a effort of them primarily in the team uh, putting this all together. Um, so just because I'm sharing it, I can't uh, can't really take full credit for it. But at a very high level, um, you know, we start with the idea that we want to find somebody who's the right fit. And so what does that mean? Well, you need somebody who fits your culture, which means that they fit your values, right? If they fit your values, they fit your culture. Um, and they need to be able to do the job really well and have a reason for a mutual reason for partnering together in this employment relationship. So there needs to be something we can give them and something that they can give us that makes sense for both parties. And so at a very high level, we're trying to understand, do you fit our culture and are you a good fit for the job that's actually available here? Um, and everything is really oriented around that. 
And so with our culture, it's tricky. It's tricky to determine that um, on an interview. Uh, but we have multiple interviews, um, I believe, uh, and, and I can't even say exactly for sure if, if this is exactly the process, but there's a, you know, there's an initial screening. There's a, um, after that, there's a, a multi-part interview, uh, often with follow-up interviews. And in those interviews, we're trying to assess uh, through, we use a structured interview format. So it's going to be similar or the same for everyone. That way we get a good basis of comparison. Um, but really trying to assess whether this person fits our values. So we know our values. We're asking them questions designed to elicit their perspective on these values. We're also looking at their past experience. We're listening to how they talk about things, not just what they say um, about those values and their experience and how that shows whether or not they fit those values. Um, and then in terms of the job itself, of course, there's um, past experience that we're looking at. If somebody's done this job highly successfully in the past, good chance that they'll be able to do it highly successfully now. Um, but we're also looking at, uh, you know, do they technically, do they have the skills? So we're doing a mock, uh, typically some kind of mock lesson, if not multiple. Um, we're also giving in that lesson, we, you know, solicit and give feedback to just understand how does that relationship work, right? That's the type of relationship we want over time. So can we have that on the first go around? Um, and then from there, I think, you know, we've just Andrea and, and, and the team have done it so often that they have a good sense of what works. All that said, um, you know, the interview process is necessarily a uh, you know, incomplete one and a flawed one. You just there's no way to get all the information about a person and how they're going to work with you and how they're going to fit in your culture. And so for us, it's really to start that relationship, but also to establish in that process and, and in the onboarding process, what the expectations are, um, you know, what they expect of us, what we expect of them, get clarity there and make sure that we're in the early days having that conversation very often so that if somebody's not the right fit, which we're like better, more likely to find out, out after three to six months versus, you know, right off the bat sometimes, um, then we've laid the foundation to have a mutually kind of respectful conversation about that to say, Hey, uh, you know, we can all see that it's not the right fit here. Um, and so it probably doesn't make sense to continue. So that's also part of the interview process as well. You know, understanding that we're never going to know everything or find everything out, setting a foundation to, to make sure that we have a, a mutually agreed on time to, to actually figure that out together. Um, and it's all got to be mutual, Sean. It's got to be like, they have to want to work for us and we've got to want to hire them. And it can't be anything but that anytime it's anything different than that, that's usually there's a crack that's just going to grow and, um, and, and cause some kind of problem uh, later on. So a lot of us, a lot of what we do is just trying to figure out whether we want them and they want us. Yeah. That it reminds me of how I used to like chase people down and I was like, okay, come on, I got to get you to work for me or work with me. And at this point, if someone doesn't, respond to a text during the interview process or respond to an email. Like I make room for the possibility that maybe they didn't see it or something like that. Yeah. But I also try to like interpret, you know, lack of interest as a message, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, you, you have to figure out like, okay, was that just like some technical error or are they just like not responsive? And cause you, right, yeah. you don't want to get three to six months in and then their clients are saying, Oh, they're not you know, responding to my exactly. emails or exactly. And that does the interesting thing that I found is that that doesn't mean they're a bad educator or that, that they might not be a great person for the team. Um, they might still be great, but in the interview process, your job is to like make decisions, you know, about quickly with the data that you have. And so that means we've probably turned down a bunch of great candidates for some reason or another, which stinks, right, to think about. Um, but you just, like you say, you have to go with the behaviors that you see, um, trust your gut, uh, you know, do the best structured interview you have, um, and then, you know, hope for the best, frankly. Like even the best firm, the, the firms that hire the best, uh, you know, have some level of, of attrition or some level of missing the mark. It's just not possible to do it perfectly. Yeah. It, uh, well, kind of, I'm thinking back to what we we're talking about earlier and it's like, you 
you have all those interviews, you have the, 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 um, kind of lesson that they, they practice doing, you have the conversations, the, all those things. So it, you're giving yourself the best opportunity to, you know, uh, it's like a numbers game, right? If you, if you can pick up, on, you're going to see some errors no matter what, or some kind of things that maybe are slightly concerning, but it's like, like you said, you, you got to decide on your threshold for, yeah. for how much error there is. And and then do you want to invest? Cause I'm, I guess that goes to the other part of the question, you know, as a, as a leader of a business, you're investing in your employees. You're not only investing money, you're investing time, um, these are deep relationships that, you know, span across for you, you know, more than, more than a decade or, um, you know, approaching two decades. And, and probably in some cases, I want to ask you about, cause I'm at this phase right now where I feel like I've got a good kind of like, uh, customer relationship management system set up. I was telling you last time about this tutor bird thing, which is like blowing my mind. I've set it all up and I'm like, man, I'm so happy with this. I can totally like see all my tutors. I can see all my clients. I can easily access their information and all this. But the thing that I'm struggling with right now, and I wanted to ask you if you've found solutions for this, is the the um, the tutor but employee side of managing payroll and benefits and all those things. I've seen there's like Gusto and QuickBooks, and I'm not totally... Sa- I, I use QuickBooks. I'm not totally satisfied it, with that. And I was wondering if you found kind of something that really works for you as far as managing the benefits and payroll and and all that side of the business. Yeah, <laughs> the nuts and bolts. Um, it, we have gone through a bunch of different things. We used a couple of payroll companies, local payroll companies, um, all to like, you know, well, we don't work with them anymore. So that says, <laughs> you know, what happened there. Um and then we use QuickBooks for a long time. And right now we're using Gusto. And I believe that my team is uh, quite happy with Gusto. Um, I, I haven't used it personally, but I, I know that, you know, I, I get my pay through there and I have my login and it, it, it all works really well. And, and usually the, there was a, a sort of consistent drumbeat of complaints about anything related to payroll and payroll management. And that stopped. Um, so uh, I think Gusto has, has been a real winner for us. And in terms of HR, um, you know, a lot of that is done through there, but also just, you know, you reach a certain point where you just need a person or a team to, to manage all that just because there are a lot of moving parts. And I know there are other softwares out there that, that, um, that do some of that, which we have not used yet. So I can't really speak to anything specifically for HR, but for payroll, uh, we definitely, we definitely like Gusto. Yeah, it's good. They sent me a postcard and I was like, okay, well, they're the only person sending me a postcard. They must have seen <laughs> that I established myself as a corporation. And so they had yeah. a nice, um, this is sort of in the weeds, but they, uh, one thing I do know, we've offered a 401k program for a very long time, uh, from well, well, you know, many, many years ago. Um, and that's just its own, you know, it's its own headache to manage. Uh, because at the time when we were doing it, we wanted to choose one that was low cost. So, so, you know, we could afford to do it. Um, and now we're just in so deep that it, you know, the cost of switching is very high. But uh, Gusto had a really nice integration with a 401k plan. That was a great plan. We couldn't switch to it because of some technicality of our current plan. But um, that was really nice to see because it felt like, you know, a lot of these softwares feel like they're either designed by the, they're designed by people who are designing software, but not really by, not really with the end user in mind, or they're designed in a way that, um, you know, it's good for the company that designed them to get more dollars out of you or whatever. But what I found with, I think, Gusto, especially with that 401k um, integration is that it seemed like a nice and this kind of ties back to the mission of what we do just in educating, but it just seemed like something that was designed around the user and allowed the user to do 401k, do health benefits, um, which are all things that we, you know, we find quite important and we've done for a very, very long time for our team, even though we're not required to do them or, or at, at, for a long time, we were not required to do them in terms of our size. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That, I mean, I think for someone who's growing a tutoring business like myself, but that, you know, that's the goal of this, this podcast is to help educate them about these different aspects, you know, because yeah, you could pay a good salary, but if 
someone's offering like you do a 401k or health benefits um and then also just the ease of of uh, of the system that they're you're walking into you know i was I was using just like spreadsheets and stuff. And then I, and then I got onto this Tutorbird thing and it was like all synced up with all their calendars and they could put their zoom link in and it would send automated reminders to, um, the client and the student. If you put their information, in. I was like, wow, this, like everyone on my team was like, this is way easier than everything you were doing before. Yeah. Sean. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and so it's like constantly trying to set up those systems, right? So people can walk in and be successful, you know, and, and it sounds like, you guys have gone through so many iterations and you continue oh, to evolve and grow. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, in 10 years, it's going to be totally different. And I hope I'm, I'm, I'm sure. around to, to yeah. look back and reflect on it and talk about it. Yeah. Um, so one question that I've been thinking about, because, you know, being, uh, I guess, greener in the tutoring landscape and, and still building my business, um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is like, what's the question I should be asking that I'm not asking, you know, cause there's things I, you don't know what you don't know. And I, I would love yeah. just to pose that to you, you know, what, what are some big things to consider as someone goes on this journey to building a successful tutoring business organization? Um, yeah. What would you, what would you, uh, how would you respond to that? Yeah. I, I mean, it's to me, there's one big question that comes to mind, which is what do you really want? And so we could do one of two things. We could either talk about in the abstract or we could have a little coaching slash therapy session and actually dive into it for you. What, what would you prefer? <laughs> well, you're the guest, so I will, uh, I will go either way. You know, I'd, yeah, so you, yeah, you mentioned it was, uh, you mentioned it was something um, that you've been thinking about. And so a little theory and then we'll dive in. And the theory is that I think on a, small business level up to businesses, the size of, you know, up to 50, hundred million dollar businesses, any privately held business, frankly, is completely intertwined with its owners. Um, the goals of the business are completely intertwined with the goals of the owners of the business. And that's just something that took me forever to, to, I think a lot of people understand that intuitively. I think a lot of things take me a long time to get, or took me a long time to get. And that was one of them, which was that there's not a right answer for what should we do with the business or how should we grow it or what, you know, there, there's no right answer. The answer is, well, what do I want? Um, or what do, what do our owners want as a whole? Um, in, in my case, it's me primarily running the business. So that question very often comes back to me. And that's just kind of a big, uh, it's kind of a big question because it's then, well, what do you want in your life? And what kind of life do you want to lead? And what kind of impact do you want to have? And so it gets pretty hairy. And I think it's really easy to um, not really ask or try to answer that question and then end up in on some kind of treadmill of building and running and growing a business. And it's not necessarily bad. I know a lot of business owners and tutoring company owners who have just kind of naturally, intuitively gone into a life that they absolutely love. It, it, you know, it's a great setup of the money that they make and the, the impact that they're having and the work, the actual day-to-day -day work that they're doing. But I know some who are kind of you know, not, so they're kind of like, and I was in this place for a little while until I really tried to ask and answer these questions where it's like, wait, I, I could just be tutoring for, you know, whatever the high rate is in your area. You know, it's pretty high across the country now. I could just be tutoring for this many dollars an hour. And instead I'm slogging it out on this payroll software. Like what's the point? Um, so with that in mind, I turn it back to you, Sean. What, what, uh, what is it that you want? Um, when you think about growing your business? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you putting me on the hot seat. I'm, I'm always putting everyone <laughs> on the hot seat. So, <laughs> you know, and um, I don't want to be political. I, I want this, but I also want that. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I wanna, yeah. yeah. What do I want? I mean, man, it's like the question I ask everybody at the end of the show. Like, well, I'm not going to say it because I'm going to ask you, but yeah. <laughs> um, what do I want? What I want is personally, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's going to sound, it might sound a little shallow. I mean, I set a financial goal for myself. I said in 10 right. years, and this was about two, two years ago, I set a goal for myself. I said, I want to base, I calculated 
what would be the amount of money I would need to make in order to live off passive income? Um, I, I, and it was based on like, I listened to all these financial independence shows and they said, you need 25 years of your monthly expenses so that you can, you can live off. I mean, they, they, I can't remember the exact calculation, but it was like, you need 25 years of your expenses, um, in order to live off passive income based on, you know, market return calculations or something like that over time. Like, so I was like, okay, for me, it was like, you know, I'm, I think I must have some form of ADHD or something because I will like switch from thing to thing to thing. So for me, having a number and saying like, I want to earn this amount of money. And it was, it's a large number, you know, it's a, it's in the millions um, because, uh, you know, but it's like, so I said, what, what's the timeline? And I've never had a 10 year goal, but I was like, there's no way I could even possibly get to this goal in five years. I mean, it might be right there. Life happens, but, but I said, I'll try to give myself 10 years. And so when I put my mind on that goal, everything in my life started to change. I just started to make these like decisions. Like, is that leading me towards that? So that was primarily the driver for everything at first was to what decisions can I make today to get closer to that goal? So I can live off passive income. And I don't, and like, when I say it, I want to say it, you know, with the, I guess, with the caveat or with the, with the idea that it's not because I'm lazy. I'm, I'm far from lazy. It's because I had an experience at work where, um, it was like you were talking about earlier, it was a really challenging work experience where I almost lost my job because I was doing it a certain way. And I was, and I thought, you know, I want to have control of my time and I don't want, I don't want, uh, other people to dictate, uh, how I should educate others. You know, I want to, I want to choose the pathway that I believe in and that, you know, instead of just feeling like I'm, I'm a cog in a system that's set up and it's not really what I believe in. So that was the goal was that if I had passive income, I could make the exact choices I wanted to make around how I spent my time and, and find the balance that I wanted. So that was initially it. Now coming back to today after you know, years of working on that and getting closer to it, much closer to it than I've ever been, um, which is amazing. Now that I've built all these relationships and I have a team and people are are um, making their living through um, the business that I've I've helped create, um, you know, and and the impact that the fam- we've had on families and the way they feel and feel supported and and hopeful, you know, the majority of the time, my. I'm not sure if that's still the absolute priority. Like I definitely still want to hit my number and have that option, but I really do value the ability to give back to others and also to like create a system where other people can make their living in a similar way where they have flexibility over when they work with people and, and can, you know, choose the kind of goals to a certain extent. So that's my non-answer to your question is that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think you, I mean, I think it's a, a beautiful case study and you're cl- clearly a lot more adept at uh, this at this point in your journey than I ever was because uh, it took me a lot longer to, to try to understand um, this idea of, of really having that clarity of vision um, for myself. But I think that you, you just gave a great example of, of having something that then everything else can be oriented around including for anything as small as, you know, what payroll software do we use to as big as, um, you know, do we have an office or how many people do we have or what services do we offer? And I think that, you know, the number goal is an important one and it's an important one for all business owners because, you know, it took me a long time to also realize this is that, you know, as, as allergic as many of us educators, and I put myself in that same bucket, um, uh, were to money, like a business is about, you know, using resources wisely and managing assets appropriately and profit. If you don't have profit, you are putting yourself at a risk in terms of the sustainability of your business. So all these things are, it's just, you know, it's, it's like trying to run a car without oil. It's like, okay, that doesn't really make any sense. Try to run a business without thinking about money. It doesn't make sense. So you, you definitely need that. But then you also described in there a couple of other really important things. And, you know, there's a, there's a clarity of vision that you have um, that I think when we th- think about, you know, when I talk to other business owners, really, it's all about that. And for some, it's like, look, I just want to tutor 20 hours a week with families that I love and maybe have a couple people who I do it with. And that would be amazing. And that's like a perfect life for me. Well, awesome. That's 
gives you one picture of business. Another picture is somebody in in a circumstance like yours, but maybe who is less enthused or motivated by the human connection or the impact and just wants to find something that um, essentially will sell quickly um, and make a lot of money. And that's a totally different business. And there's nothing wrong with that too. I think all businesses should be to some degree or another, um, you know, values-based and values-driven. So, so we're not in the marketplace um, causing any harm, but it's just a very different business uh, that, that, you know, that, that comes out the other end of that vision uh, once you set it. And it reminds me of this thing that I heard a long time ago where uh, it was that it was about design um, and it was, it's something like you can have something design and coding. I think my, our developer um, shared this with me. He said, you can have something fast, you can have something cheap and you can have something good, but you can't have all three. You can only pick two. <laughs> uh, and I think that as, as one starts to build out the vision, things are put into conflict, right? Well, I want a number and I want to do it in a way where I have deep personal relationships and impact, but I want that number in three years from now. Well, going to be really hard. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe impossible, maybe possible, right? So you even kind of illustrated that with your, with how you thought about setting that time frame. So just back to your original question is, um, as far as I can remember it, uh, is really you know, in thinking about what is the one question or one thing that I should have been asking that I, I wasn't is what do I really want? And based on that, let me get serious about defining and designing a business that allows me to then, um, you know, build that out and make that vision manifest in the world. And without that clarity, again, you can sometimes get to that point just intuitively or sometimes the journey itself, just like some people like to write to find out what they're thinking, the journey itself will help you de determine that. There's always some element of that. Um, but but I think uh, asking and answering that question is just a practice on an ongoing basis. It's never going to be the same. It's never going to stay this, or rarely does that answer stay the same over the course of 5, 10, 20 years. Asking and answering that question and then applying that question to the as, as the sort of framing of the business venture to me is, is the question, the thing that I, I think I would have liked to have thought, thought a little bit more carefully about in my early days. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me that. I feel like I feel a little exposed, but in a good way, I'm like, yeah, like it's good that I, it's such, it's such an important, it's like, it's almost like uh, the water we're in, right? It's like that, uh, yeah. that famous essay, you know, what, you know, the water we're swimming in it, we're swimming in what we want and we're moving towards it. But are we intentional about it? I think it goes back to what right. you talked about even right. earlier in the conversation. Like if you can define what you want, you know, and it's not going to be easy, right? It's like not clear. Um, and that's the reason I put a number on it because I was thinking, I can't decide what I want. I don't yeah. know what to do with this life that I've been given. It's like too big of a gift, you know? So let me at least yeah. work towards a number. Like that's, right. that'll be clear right. enough. Like, you know, like, <laughs> cause I used to, I mean, just, just like, I used to love playing basketball and one thing I, I still love playing basketball, but can't do it during COVID, you know, as much, but it's like one thing that I always thought about basketball was it's so simple in the sense that if you want to be the best, I mean, there's different metrics, but you could just be the scoring champion. Like what a simple but beautiful thing to fight for, you know, like I'm going to score right, the right. most points, but you right. know, when you go in, when you get into the world, there's not such clear metrics for success. Right. So right. you have to make your own, which is, so I just love that question. And for everyone listening and, and listening in the future, yeah, ask yourself, make it a practice to ask yourself, what do I really want? You know, keep trying to define it. Cause I'm sure it's not going to be easy or perfect or, you know, it's never going to be, you're never going to have a perfect clarity on what you want, but you want to keep having kind of moving towards that vision. Well, one thing that we we often think about in our coaching practice at Signet with our students is that um, it's always a almost always a zigzag line um, because, like you said, you have to start going to collect some information about and some feedback on the direction that you're going in, and at some point you have to pivot because if you don't, then you're just 
blindly following some goal that you set that's no longer resonant or or meaningful to you. Um, but if you can get in the habit of kind of gracefully but constantly going through this uh, pivoting journey back and forth, then over time, typically you end up, the pivots become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you kind of start to zero in on your your endpoint. And then, and then often what I've seen happen um, and what's happened with me and with other people is then you get to closer to what might be an endpoint and then you make a massive pivot because you realize the journey you're on will not, there's just no way you can get, now that you've learned everything you, you, you've learned, there's no way you can get everything you want on that path. And so now you have to switch to, you know, and then life is just that, you know, at least the, for what I've ascertained so far is just a series, a, a well of life is a series of just constantly asking that question and, and kind of pulling at the threads and, and doing in order to learn to then, you know, pull at the threads to, you know, it's, it's this iterative cycle. And I think the same thing applies in business and building business and growing a business and sustaining a business and sometimes selling a business or winding down a business. It's all part of that journey. Now it changes when you have multiple shareholders um, who are all, you know, in the trenches working together, which is why it makes that, that makes that very, very complicated for those folks out there who have multiple active shareholders um, that, you know, many of them I'm sure will, will know that, that challenge um, changes, of course, if you're running a, a public company and, and that sort of thing, where you have a, a duty to your shareholders to just make them as much money as possible. But in most tutoring companies, they're typically, you know, privately held, often owned by one person. I think that that intertwining of the personal and the business journey is is a really important thing to consider. Yeah, what a great metaphor of like the pivot. Man, because my pivots like five years ago or four years ago were like, I don't even know if they'd be pivots. They'd be like full, full uh, body leaps, <laughs> full body leaps across. But I'm hoping yeah. I'm at least keeping one foot planted at this point. I think I am. Um, but two, two final questions is one, what's, what's your vision? You know, I mean, it's, I think I'm so curious because you've built such a sustainable model and product, you know, or system. You know, tell us about what you see on the horizon for your work. Yeah, I, I, I was hoping you wouldn't put me in the hot seat, but I guess I'm, I, I had have to, to, <laughs> to reciprocate. <laughs> I have to answer. Um, so prior to this, um, you know, my previous life before before a massive pivot uh, was as a musician. Um, I was pretty committed to. Uh, being a musician and living, you know, that, that was going to be my career. I was in music school um, after undergraduate, um, got a full scholarship to music school and was just, you know, on the way, on the path. And one of the things that I absolutely loved about music was I was a jazz musician and dabbled a bit in composition, but obviously jazz, um, you know, improvisation is kind of like ongoing composition. And so for me, um, that creative process is just something that I just absolutely love. Like I, I too, you mentioned you've got, you think you might be ADHD and uh, definitely ADHD. And there's just something just deeply engaging about that creative process. And so, so that's one, I'm going to try to piece together, think this out, out loud. So that's one real driving factor for me in, in building and, and, and kind of continuing to run Signet is how do we constantly just like envision what is on the horizon and what's the next thing and, and move toward that. Um, and there's some just real joy in, in doing that in creating. Um, another thing is I have this, uh, it used to be a perfectionism, but I think I'm finally like after many years of, of, of realizing that that's like, you know, seeing the, the negative side of that. I think there's just this constant desire for improvement. Just, I want today in every dimension of my life, whether it's personally or with, with um, the business, I just want today to be just a little bit better than yesterday. And when something's not going quite right, I want to figure out what, what happened and, and make it right. Um, 
And man, what a learning curve to figure out how to do that with a team, because, you know, that's a, uh, that's a pure recipe for being, <laughs> being a tyrant of a boss if you don't manage that kind of uh, internal drive effectively. But I think there's a part of me along with that creative vision of, of like wanting to build the absolute, I always talk about just building a beautiful business from every single standpoint. So if you look at it from, and I kind of always, I always do my team jokes with me because I'm always doing this gesture with my hands and like holding a globe or something, you know? And and from every standpoint, when you turn it on one end and you look at it from one dimension, it's amazing. You look at it from another dimension, it's amazing. And so those dimensions are, you know, many, but what is the employee experience in our business? I want that to be absolutely amazing. What is the customer experience, the client experience? What are the outcomes? Um, what is the, you know, what do the books look like? I want that to be clean and beautiful, right? I want, I want that to work. How do all the systems interplay with each other? Um, you know, what does the financials look like of the business? Um, I just want it to be something that is just, to me, it feels like, you know, I'm, I'm holding this thing and I'm constantly trying to polish and shape it. Um, so that's another thing. Another piece of this journey is that I found is more recently, let's say in the last five years, which has really been probably the most rewarding, um, actually one of the most rewarding aspects of the business is now building a team, like getting to the point where we have a team of people, a leadership team, and then a you know a broader team and realizing that I personally had you know, every entrepreneur will hit a ceiling at some point in terms of what they can accomplish on their own. Um, and so I feel that by, at this point, I, I've, I've, I hit that point long ago and tried to sort of stretch myself through that point. Um, but the only way through that is by building a team that can then, you know, join you and, and, and um, participate and all collectively create a vision and execute that vision. And the building of that team has been a really amazing experience and beautiful journey. Um, and now to me, that's almost the bigger or biggest priority is how do I find amazing people who can come and join us and elevate the company as well as elevate, give, give, you know, elevate themselves and their professions and their professional uh, careers and all that sort of thing. So all of those things, I, I'd say those are some of the elements of the vision going forward. And then of course, you know, I'd say perhaps the, you know, the water we swim in, it's like just this idea that we can participate in a student's educational journey. We can facilitate perhaps more so than, than do like, I see our, our role more as a facilitator of learning rather than a, you know, somebody who comes in and says, this is the right answer. Um, and we can facilitate their thinking about some of these bigger questions about their own lives and facilitate their growing independence and their readiness for college. And man, if we could do that for, I don't know, a couple thousand, 10,000, you know, a hundred thousand, I don't know what the number is, kids um, and families, right? Reduce that, turn that stress level down in the college process and have them connect with a genuine love of learning, or at least find some, some thread that they can then pull to get on their own zigzag journey. Like, Man, to do all that stuff together, it's just like an unending uh, source of of, of uh, beauty and, and joy and stress and anxiety and all the all the rest of the cocktail of being an entrepreneur. That, that what goes into the glass of an entrepreneur. So yeah, I would say those are not a particularly coherent statement. Of course, uh, you know, having asked you the question about vision, I do have a very clear written down vision exactly what we're trying to accomplish and what date and what time. But, but that, you know, not necessarily appropriate to share here. And I'd say the more interesting and important parts are those pillars that, that kind of uh, uphold that vision, uh, which is what we have. Yeah, I can totally see the musical background playing into the creative process of the business. I was thinking when you were sharing the vision here, like it's like a symphony in four parts or, or that, you know, it's like, all those things intertwined to create a coherent thread and a narrative. Um, there's so much, yeah, it's, I think there's so much art and music in a way in business, you know, and creating a really beautiful product that hums. Someone else, another guest actually said yeah. that it's like, everything should be humming in harmony totally. and they all interact yeah. to create yes. a system. So, uh, 
Thank you for sharing that. I've got a couple rapid fire questions. Do you have a few minutes for the hot seat? I do. I do. Yeah. All right. I, mean, I, I live under a rock, so depending on what your questions are, you may or may not get appropriate or good answers from people. Let's see. Let, let's see what comes out. So the only rule is that you can't take too long to respond. Okay. Um, so just rapid fire. Uh, what are the, you know, uh, improv, improv. I know you got this okay. in your background. Right. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, first one, Apple or Android? Apple. Favorite book? So from a business perspective, uh, the book Traction, uh, that was a real game changer for me and for for, for us. And then um, there's a book I read years ago called A Fine Balance. And it was a fiction book. And it was, I think, the first book that I just remember myself at some point, just like in absolute tears, just a complete and utter wreck reading that book um, because of the emotional like uh, ups and downs and impact of that book. And it was a, it just absolutely nothing, no reading experience has really come close to that, but just to, to see how fiction and literature could like stretch the boundaries of your just raw human experience. Um, so, so that one comes to mind. That was a beautiful, beautiful book. I haven't read it. I'm kind of scared to reread it. <laughs> too intense but yeah that, that one was uh, i call it i'll call it a favorite wow i want to read that i yeah i truly <laughs> yeah i truly desire works of art that can make me yeah. feel deeply or like cry or laugh out loud like it's um it's amazing when a work of art can do that but you also have to open yourself to it which is like half the work and sometimes i i struggle with that so I got to check that out. Fine balance um, and tracked, of course. I already read that. So I, I'm, I'm yeah. one of two on your, on your list. Uh, favorite movie. This is where, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't really have a, a recent favorite movie. I will say, and it's kind of a, a bit of a guilty pleasure, but I just, I love the Bourne trilogy, Jason Bourne. Um, so I'd say that, that, that that's like my favorite, but that's not because it's actually my favorite, but because I don't really watch. I mean, these days it's mostly Disney movies, which I like too, but I don't think I would call, call favorite. Does, does the Born Trilogy take place in Boston or is it just, is Matt Damon just, I think from- I, yeah, I don't, I don't think the, the first one or the second one it's in like uh, Europe and, and all over the world. So I don't, Maybe there might be sections in Boston, but those are, those are good. Yeah. If you like a good action movie, I just watched uh, Without Remorse, okay, with a Michael B. Jordan, which was I love a good action movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't the best movie ever, but Michael okay. B. Jordan, he 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 plays it well. You know, he's uh, okay. Yeah, but I'll have to I'll have to rewatch those. I love a trilogy. A good trilogy always you know gets me the going. The fourth one, the fourth one was unfortunately disappointing. I was. I was so excited and we went to the movie theater, which we don't usually do. Me and my wife, this is a while ago and just walked out of there like, Oh, just, they ruined it, you know, but the, the, the first three were awesome. <laughs> That's a bummer, man. Yeah. I, I always wonder about yeah. movies, like what goes wrong, you know, when they have a yeah, great series, yeah, yeah, like yeah, did yeah. they change some right. writer? Or, I don't know. Uh, best album. There, I'll give you two again because they're just so disparate. But the first, the one that I would say, if I could only take one with me somewhere to some desert island, I had a single album MP3 player or whatever it is. Um, it would be, it's this album called uh, Be Still by a trumpet player named Dave Douglas, jazz musician um, with, a, with a singer on there too. And it's just, just this absolutely beautiful mix of... Um, jazz and it's kind of got the, these vocals that are not really jazz and there's sort of a it's it's very anyone can listen to it and enjoy it but it's also very technically like advanced and beautiful from a jazz perspective so it's kind of nice to just put on and you can go a lot of different directions with it in terms of listening to it um, so that's that's the the first favorite one can i give you three of course Okay. All right. And then the second one is, um, I don't know if you were ever into Erica Badu, but like when I was in college, like her album Mama's Gun was just could not like that. And then D'Angelo, which is the third one, Voodoo. Um, those two albums, like I literally, my roommates were just like, stop playing those albums. And then another, another Dave Douglas album from, from way back in the day. But yeah, those are those are the the I'd say the three that like get the most play in terms of repeat albums. Love it. If a book was written about your life, what would the title be? 
<laughs> you, did you see the movie Up? Yes. Okay. Uh, and you know the dog in Up? It's the, the talking dog? It's yeah. slipping my mind. <laughs> so, well, there's the talking dog in the movie Up, and the dog often is just like doing something and just goes, Squirrel! <laughs> and like turns and looks the other way and so i feel like the the title of a book about my life would be squirrel <laughs> so there's a lot of uh a lot of zigzagging in, in, in my life it's been uh it's been awesome and it's all kind of in retrospect has one uh long story arc to it uh, uh but but in the moment sometimes it just feels like squirrel <laughs> <laughs> i love that i'll have to revisit that that's a is it squirrel with an exclamation point at the end or just straight uh, squirrel it, it, so i uh it's it's what the dog says because he, he's like talking 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 and then he just sees a squirrel he's like squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's uh it would just be a picture of that dog saying squirrel <laughs> amazing jay it has been such a pleasure and a privilege to chat with you today if people want to find out more about your work, what you're doing, how can they do that? Thanks, Sean. I um, I thought you might ask this question. I was thinking about it. It's like I I, I didn't know. Like, is is I, I I basically don't use social media. I was thinking to myself, can I say I opt out of social media? So no social media, um, no real online public presence. But of course. Uh, if anybody ever wanted to get in touch or just see what we're doing, they could go to the Signet Education website. Did you get value from today's episode? If so, leave a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Please. And are you interested in helping your education business grow? Then visit earnmoretutoring.com slash coaching. New episodes will be posted on Sundays. This show is written by Sean McCormick. The show is produced by Casey Sticker and Sean McCormick. Music production is by Casey Sticker. Project management is done by Maya Pugach. To learn more, go to earnmoretutoring.com.